I'm Alex Del Soro. I'm Alex Del Soro. I'm Alex Del and we have we have just Eddie. It's Eddie Sauer. Needed to France. Eric Murray. It's Mahi Drysdale. It is Sir Matthew Vincent. Thank you for being here. I'm Alex Del Soro, Growers Choice, and this is another round of podcast interviews. We are on 94. For a while, I kept saying, we're like close to 100, close to 100. And CJ had to tell me, hey, listen, buddy, you're wrong. We're at 94. And this is a special one. I've known this guy for a while. And he's a journeyman in a way. He's been around rowing a very, very long time. Not to put him on the spot. He is old, but doesn't matter. This guy is part of a program that's not been around a long time, but the school's been around a long time, had a lot of success in football and other sports. And this guy, having seen what he's done so far, I have a lot of respect and I have a lot of admiration and excited to see what he's going to do with this program. This is Glenn Betrea at Alabama Rowing. Glenn, finally getting you and me on screen. I am so excited for this. And I love that energy. <laughs> That's all I bring. I bring energy. But Glenn, <laughs> you've been, you've been, you've been in the coaching game a long time, right? And we're going to get into your past, like where you went and all that. But first question out the gate, how old were you? Where were you when you took that first stroke? I was a freshman in high school. And uh, as as, uh, a lot of rowers, I started rowing because I wasn't good at other sports. I uh, had just gotten cut from the uh, freshman football team. And I went to... uh, you know, a, a little known rowing school at the time, St. Ignatius in San Francisco. They've had some success uh, along the way since then. But uh, I started there as a, uh, I thought I was going to be a freshman football player. And uh, I got cut. And the school had a requirement that you do something athletic. And the rowing team didn't cut. And that's how I started rowing. And I started rowing thinking I would make the basketball team. I got cut from the freshman basketball team, too. <laughs> Uh, hopefully this isn't a trend of just getting cut, 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 but no, no, no. <laughs> so, so, so this is interesting. So this, okay. The audience wants to know, I want to know what year was that? That was 1985. So 1985, you know, rowing obviously is popular in certain pockets of the country. Right. But like, it's, was it really popular in the Northern California area at the time? No, I mean, it was, you know, at that time, you know, there was the uh, Prepper Handbook that uh, a lot of us were, uh, you know, a, a lot of us, you know, even small, you know, Jesuit high school guys were, you know, looking at for fashion advice and, uh, you know, talked a lot about crew and uh, the, uh, the fact that my high school had a crew team was very unusual. There were two high schools in Northern California that had rowing teams. And that was Berkeley and uh, Berkeley high school and St. Ignatius. Um, I guess you could say technically Redwood high school was a, was a high school team at that time too, since it's become Redwood. I mean, that's scholars, right? Redwood scholars. Is that no uh, Redwood high school is now Marin rowing association. Oh, Oh, so um, yeah. Redwood High School in uh, Northern California, Larkspur, California, won the Stotesbury Cup uh, way back in 1988, 88 or 89. Yeah. During, yeah. during the dominance of, of, uh, of WNL. I mean, WNL had the dominance uh, and then St. Joe's Prep, obviously. But so, so freshman rowing, did your parents have anything to do 
with finding that sport or was it just, was it in the hallways? Did you, was the teacher, the coach? And he said, Hey, you should try it. Yeah, no, my parents had absolutely nothing to do with me starting rowing. It, it, it had everything to do with, uh, you know, me knowing that I had, I wanted to do something athletically. I wanted to be an athlete and uh, I, you know, I played CYO, CYO basketball and track and field and, you know, all that stuff in, you know, middle school. But uh, it was, it was there as a, you know, in that day and age, there was a poster and there was a tryout and, you know, the tryout started out at the polo fields in San Francisco with a lot of running and, uh, you know, like anybody else, we got in a boat and it was a wooden boat. Um, you know, we were, it, it was, you know, wooden oars, wooden boat, you know, like old school, you know, Coxon had a beak. Holy cow. There, there was no Cox box. I remember when we got our yeah. first Cox box. That was like high tech evolution. I remember our first erg, you know, <laughs> that, yeah. yeah, a lot of that stuff happened in, uh, during high school. It's so, it's so funny. Just learning about programs east coast versus west coast it feels like west coast just took a little bit longer for some of this technology to make it right because a lot of the companies were out in the northeast did you did you find success in rowing in high school like were there big races that you won big medals that you accomplished you know i i had some individual success um i i i found pretty figured out pretty early on that i that I was a pretty good grinder. Like I could do the, uh, I could do simple things for a really long time. Um, so when we started being able to do like ergometer tests and stuff like that, and um, I, I did, I went to the open tryout for the junior national team. I guess that was the summer spring of 88. Um, and, you know, I, I pulled, you know, at that time we were pulling 2,500s for our uh, right. for testing. And uh, I got an invitation to the uh, junior, junior team selection camp and uh, ended up going out to Connecticut that summer of my junior year. Um, had some great, you know, some, some great coaching. We went to Kent school and, uh, um, you know, I met some friends that are still friends today, like Greg Meyer at uh, – <laughs> You know, Greg Meyer and I were trying out for the junior team together. Uh, what was that guy like as a junior in, in, in high school rowing? Like, because, oh, you know, he was well, like coach, right? So, like, I picture I mean, him being a 40-year-old man at 18 years old. Well, I mean, we were both old souls. You know, he, he uh, the thing, the cool thing about Meyer was, you know, we were very similar in that he, he had just, he had founded his high school team and, yeah. He was the first one from his high school to get invited to a, a, a junior camp, you know, junior national team selection camp. And I was the first guy from my high school to get invited. So we kind of bonded over that. He was a little bit more skilled on the water than I was. I, I, I think my, I think the day I got cut, I got the, uh, you know, the, the really nice, uh, we, I don't know, we call them poop sandwiches, right? I got the, uh, yeah, you know, you're a, uh, you're, you're a really hard worker. You row horribly, but if you keep working at it, you can be better. <laughs> yeah. I and then, and then they had to figure out how to get me to the airport. <laughs> that is awesome. All right. So you did, you did junior national, um, or you tried it out. Um, yeah. now I know where you went to college, but 
tell everybody else. Where did you go to college after? So I ended up at the University of Washington. Yeah, I, uh, so I, my first year trying out for the junior team, I actually aged out for the second year because the age, age rules at that point where you couldn't turn 18 the year of the championship. So I turned 18 in um, November of 88. And so I was un- ineligible for junior team the next year. And then, man, I went through a lot of, you know, I, I, my, my senior year was supposed to be like this great year of, you know, figuring out where I'm going to go to school and everything else. And, um, you know, looked at some other places, looked locally uh, at the time, you know, UCLA, Washington and Cal were the strongest teams on the West coast. Cause UCLA was still a varsity team at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I visited, I, I lived too close to Berkeley to want to go to school there. I had this rule that any, any place where my parents could, drop in unannounced was not a place I wanted to go to school. Uh, I wanted wanted to be far enough away for there actually have to be some planning. Uh, And then I visited Washington and, and uh, I don't know, man, the idea, like at that time we lived in the boathouse, um, you know, we were, you know, the idea of immersing myself in rowing at that point, you know, had become kind of the thing I wanted to do. And I figured the two places you know, the places you can do that are either, you know, the Ivy League schools or at that point it was, you know, Washington where you could just kind of eat, sleep, breathe, rowing. Did you have the grades to get to like an Ivy League opportunity? I mean, like from an ERG standpoint. In my mind, in my mind, of course I did. But no, I, you know, I, I, again, little story, you know, little things along the way. The freshman coach at Washington at the time, his name was, Yuri Zaplatal. And uh, I, I remember, you know, I visited and sat in a launch with Bob at Head of the Lake. And that was, you know, that was, that was, that was interesting, you know, being a high school kid sitting at the start line of the Head of the Lake regatta, you know, just watching boats go by. Um, but uh, I remember Yuri asked me to uh, ask me, he wanted to know how badly I wanted to go to Washington. So that he made me write a, uh, he said, the admissions office requires an essay. And I said, well, there's no essay on the application. He's like, well, in your case, the admissions office is asking for an essay. So he made me write an essay about why I wanted to go to Washington uh, that supposedly was, was found down the line by another freshman coach, um, you know, five or six years later. But, uh, you know, I mean, it was one of those things like at the time we didn't have emails, we didn't have, um, you know, it was hard to get a hold of people. You were still doing a lot of handwritten correspondence or getting a hold of people on the phone. So uh, that was his way of, you know, kind of determining whether or not I was going to be a good fit. And, um, you know, honestly, I spent, um, I spent four years there, you know, my freshman year, my, my mom, after my first semester at, or sorry, first quarter at Washington, my grades weren't very, very good. And my mom's like, are you sure you're ready for college? And I said, uh, well, yeah, of course I am. I don't want to go home. And uh, her response was, you know, there's not professional rowing. And uh, that's the joke I've always said. It was like, well, you know, I proved her wrong because I somehow found a way to become a professional rower. Coach. Yeah. Wow. So your mom, yeah, I, I appreciate your mom saying that. And that's actually my next question is you it's rare. I haven't talked to a lot of people, coaches that 
wanted to eat, breathe and sleep rowing, right? Like you, you found it early. A lot of the coaches I talked to lately have, they found rowing in college, you know, thereafter they, they were walk-ons. They later found the sport. You found it. What's more conventional now, like more conventional now kids find it freshman year and you want to eat, breathe and sleep it. But did you want to like, did you knew at college that you wanted to coach it or be involved at some level? Cause you obviously had to choose another major, right. That's yeah. not coaching rowing. Well, I mean, and you know, truth be told, like I, I loved, I loved rowing, but I, I loved all the things, uh, all the social aspects of rowing. I loved being with my teammates and I loved, you know, hanging out and watching, you know, watching movies on a Friday night with all my friends in a dorm, you know, we were, you know, to a certain degree, we were like a, we were like an unofficial fraternity on campus because we were, you know, it was an, it was an athlete dorm that had, you know, a bunch of rowers in it, plus some swimmers and some football players. And so, you know, that I love the social piece probably more than I like the actual, I had no idea about developing my craft. I thought if I just got my erg score faster, you know, like I'd find myself in a boat. And uh, I struggled with that because I never really embraced the craft of becoming, you know, a really good boat mover. And it wasn't until um, my senior, I guess it was my, I, I had finished my eligibility, but I still had some credits to finish because it did take me a while to decide I wanted to be a student too. And um, I didn't know what I was going to do as a history and English major. And I, you know, the opportunity to be the GA at Washington for the freshman came up and I, I asked for it. And my idea was I was going to go, go to grad school, get a master's in ed and be a teacher somewhere um, and be like a, a teaching coach, you know, a little, maybe a little, little like Mr. Chips, but uh, I, uh, I mean, that's the path I chose. So you said you didn't embrace the craft and I appreciate you saying that. Were you ever in the varsity eight? Did you ever make no. the top? No, no. Were you like a two V three V guy? Like at all? I, I never made it out of the third varsity eight at Washington. You know, it takes a lot of balls to say that, by the way. I mean, a lot of people tend to flub that, but you never made it out of the three V. Now, no. is it hard to, so when Meyer was my coach, um, mm -hmm. I was in the one V every single fall guaranteed one V and then that son of a gun took me out of the varsity eight sophomore and junior year and put me in the two V and it was really hard to maintain motivation when I knew that I was talented. I knew what I wanted and I finally made it my senior year. Um, I hated him for it. And then I realized later that he taught me a life lesson. Um, how did you maintain outside of loving the aspect of partying and the social aspect? How did you maintain motivation to always be in that 3v well I, I never aspired to be in the third eight i was always working hard to try and find a pathway out i mean I, I think the thing that you know hindsight always being 2020 i mean i i always felt like i i knew what i was good at so i always felt like if i doubled down at what i was good at eventually you know not doing the little things that the coaches were asking me to do, I'd be able to overcome by just, you know, like doubling down. I mean, I, I, I was, I felt like I was pretty good on the earth, you know, but I was, you know, and better, better than most, 
you know, um, but I always felt like, you know, if I just keep getting faster on, on the machine, I keep getting more bench pulls and I do more pull-ups and, you know, all these things, you know, eventually I'll be strong enough to overcome the things that I wasn't as good at. And the reality is I progressed slowly, you know, um, you know, from the second frost eight, my freshman year to, you know what I'm saying? The four V eight, the, my sophomore year. It, yeah. I, I made, I progressed, but you know, I, I don't think I could ever sit there and say that I ever really truly maximize what I might've been capable of. If I just listened to my coaches, you know, and, uh, but that's, you know, I think at that time, you know, our, our coaches, you know, we're, we're there to guide us and, and give us feedback. But at the end of the day, it was our choice, whether or not we were going to do the extra little things, you know, to get better. And were there uh, any, like, so you were there in like 89, 88 to like 92, 93, right? That was your era. Uh, 89 to 93, 94. Yeah. Who are some of the top guys from, from those years? I mean, can you, are any Olympians, any guys that really? Yeah. Yeah. Up? I mean, uh, Olympians, well, Mike Callahan was a freshman when I was a senior. So, um, yeah. there was a little overlap there. He had, he, he found a little bit more success in the, uh, on the rowing side of things. Uh, and he's turned out to be a pretty good coach too. Uh, <laughs> sorry, <that> was, <laughs> being, being a little, um, oh man, we had, Michael Filippone, who made the the national team, made Olympic teams. Uh, guy by the name of Roberto Blonda made an Olympic team. Phil Henry. I mean, there was there was a ton of them. I mean, there there were um, there was always a there was always somebody actively on the team that was aspiring to be in the Olympics. I mean, my senior year. Um, I want to, I don't want to get the number right, but I think we had three athletes that had were at the 92 Olympic games that were you know, coming back that should have graduated by the way. That probably was my year. That was my year. That was the year I was going to make the two V and all these guys come back from the Olympics, you know, <laughs> you know, I just got to suck it up and, you know, have my best year. Never got, you know, I love that. All right. A contender. So, <laughs> so you go, you become a GA, right? So uh-huh. you're, you're, you're post senior year, you do a GA, you got extra credits to go. And what was it like making that transition from rower to coach inside the same team the same year, right? Like, what was that transition like? Well, it, it, for me, it was, it was what ended up happening was the guy who I intended to uh, assist was my freshman coach is that's who I wanted to to learn from. And, uh, the summer between my fourth year and my fifth year, uh, he moved on and they brought in a a guy by the name of John Parker. And some of us old people might know who he is. He's been around a little bit and he's coached a lot of really fast boats. He had come in from Princeton. He was uh, Mike Tatey's pair partner. Mm. And, uh, John had a completely different way of doing things than Yuri did. And, uh, I learned a lot from him. Um, because of, you know, he presented so many differences from what my experience had been at Washington. So I think I was really fortunate to have somebody that I hadn't already understood be the person that I spent my first year coaching under. And then what was your role? Like, I don't know much about GAs, right? Like, I don't know much about like what you do. Yeah. Back Back then. then, Yeah. I mean, back then we were, uh, 
back then we, we, we helped wherever we could, you know, I mean, we, um, me and a, another guy by the name of Matt Minus, who's, you know, you know, we, uh, he had, he had just come back from another guy like me had just finished rowing and wanted to stay in it. We worked with the second frosh eight, you know, and, uh, one of the big pieces of the transition was at that point, you know, usually Washington had these massive, you know, walk-on groups for the freshmen and, uh, you know, usually at least three eighths of, you know, freshmen, if not more. And, uh, during John's first year, we, we scraped to have two frosh eights and, uh, you know, even did a, did a second quarter recruitment on campus, which was totally unheard of, you know, usually you recruit once and you're done, but, uh, but yeah, Matt and I worked with the, uh, the second, second frosh eight, second novice eight. And, uh, yeah, man, we had a lot of fun with them. You know? So, so during that period, you're getting your, I think you said English, you were like an English major. Yeah. Um, I was finishing my English at yeah, my undergrad degree. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're finishing your undergrad degree. You're there for two years as a GA. No, I finished. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I had to finish school. So I had two quarters left. So I was, uh, I was finishing my undergrad degree and I was cleaning carpets to make money. I, that's been, that's been a reoccurring theme, by the way, second jobs, third jobs, just, just to get by. Yeah. So yep. 93, you're there 92, 93, 94, right? You're like, you're in this two-year period of finishing it up. You're, you're getting a degree that you, 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 I mean, you're not using your degree. I mean, you are, but you're not. I mean, English major. Um, well, a lot of us could have worked at Microsoft at the time because they were hiring, you know, like crazy. majors all over the place because they, they were just, they were just getting started. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're, you're in a really powerful area of the country. So where do you go next? Like, what do you do? Where do you, you know, your, your time as a GA is, is dwindling down. Yeah, well, I became a, no, I, I went in and I, um, I went to Washington state and I coached the men's club team and I, I was able to get my master's degree in education coaching at Washington state. And I, I, I took three years to do a two-year program. Um, and you know, it wasn't because I, uh, I wasn't, I wasn't in a huge rush to finish school. Uh, and I was really enjoying, I was coaching freshman guys, uh, for the club team at Washington state university and having a lot of fun with it. Um, and so when I finished my master's degree, it was crossroads time, you know, I had my teaching, teaching certificate and I was certified in secondary, um, social studies and English. And I started looking for work. Um, but I was, primarily focused on areas where I could be a rowing coach hmm. and uh, you know, went looked back in the Bay area, you know, looked on the East coast. Um, and you, you'll be shocked to hear that, you know, English and social studies teachers are a dime a dozen. And uh, <laughs> so I, I couldn't find a job. And I, the, the guy who's currently the men's coach at Gonzaga, Dan Gain had a freshman coaching position open and uh, he offered it to me and, and my parents were like, you cannot continue to, you know, do this, like pe- pursue this passion part-time. And so the way I was able to convince them it was okay is that uh, I got health benefits at Gonzaga. That was the kicker. It wasn't the salary. It was the fact that I had health insurance. And so, yeah, for two years at Gonzaga, my first two years coaching as a professional I was substitute teaching and, you know, coaching the freshman guys with Dan Gain. 
All right. Well, as parents, as parents, you and I can appreciate how important health insurance is. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I totally side with your parents. Like, make sure it's <laughs> injured, for Christ's sakes. As long as it's covered, I don't care. That's what I yeah. care. Which is yeah. the case. So you're just, they didn't want me to be a debt liability to them anymore. Right, exactly. I wasn't exactly. asking them for money. <laughs> yes, the liability is if you break a leg, we can't pay for that. But like, Gonzaga yeah. can, right? Yes. So, all right, so tell me the years. I think, I think my math is correct. I think this is like 98, 99. You're going to Gonzaga. Yeah, 97, 98 were my first couple of years at Gonzaga, yeah. Okay, so you get health benefits, you're substitute teaching random high schools and random eighth graders, right? Yeah, the- high school kids, yep. Mm-hmm. High school kids, you're at that point, you're like 26. Is that like a fair? Yeah, give or take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so 26, 27, what was your living arrangements like? Were you living on some couch in some random person's house? Yeah. Pretty pretty much, yeah. I mean, that was, uh, Dan got me to come take the job because he offered to give me a place to stay. Yeah, he, he had a he had an extra room in his apartment and I had a futon and a frame. And yeah, that was that was how it went for the first couple of years, yeah. All right, so then you're there for Gonzaga. You finally get parent, parental improvement sheerly on the fact that they're going to cover your costs in case of an emergency. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you, you probably couldn't scratch two nickels together. I mean, you're probably not making much at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it, you didn't, but the thing is I didn't, you didn't need much. I mean, it, I had, I had support, but I, that was, uh, you know, you, you kind of knew, you know, I would go back in the summer times, those first couple of years and I'd work at summer schools and, you know, make, make my, I, I was still cleaning carpets in the summertime because it was, a real, um, it was one of those jobs where the harder you worked, the more you got paid a lot like growing. So, yeah, you know, it was, true. it was, it was doable. So how much are you, I mean, so how much are you networking in these pivotal four or five years as a young coach? Are you spending a lot of time talking to other coaches or are you really just horse blinding? I'm focused on my one team. Uh, I mean, obviously I, I'm a pretty social person. So that I was meeting other coaches and trying to establish, you know, good professional relationships with people, you know, some of the, like, I don't want to say legends, but some of the people that, you know, gave me some really sound advice along the way were, you know, I guess my last year at Washington state, that was 97. I took a freshman four to the IRA and, you know, we borrowed a four from um, Temple and Gavin White was there and sure. got yeah. to meet Gavin. And he was also, he was super, you know, super genuine, super kind. He didn't, he didn't care that I was green behind the ears. You know, he was, you know, just as open and genuine, you know, back then as he was his entire career. And, you know, you cross paths with, you know, a young Dave Trond and, you know, you get advice from some of these people about, you know, how you come up is like, you know, you always got to remember that, you know, the people that are the freshman coaches now are going to be the head coaches someday. And, and, you know, and that was stuff I got from my dad too, is that, you know, you, you always make sure you're, creating genuine relationships and showing I'd say interest and compassion in people that are um, that help you, you know, anybody that helps you, it doesn't matter who they are, what their job is, what their title is. At what point do you, 
at what point do you start really focusing and honing in on like, I want to be a head coach. That's all I want to do. I don't want, I don't want these side hustles. Yeah, I was, I was honestly, I was at that crossroads again. This was a uh, summer of 99. I had spent the summer, um, you know, uh, working with a junior single scholar who ended up making the Olympics. Her name was Leah Purnell. And I actually got that gig from um, Emil Kosev, who's, who's not with us anymore, but like super innovative, um, great, like great rowing mind, had tons of information that, you know, I hadn't been, I, I wouldn't have been able to get from any place else. And that summer before I got my first full-time job, uh, I was kind of a rowing vagabond. I mean, that summer it was, um, you know, a meal and then um, in Augusta, Georgia, and you got Igor Grinko there because that's where all the scholars were. And then everybody goes to Lake Tahoe for a high altitude camp. And you got Scott Roop with Jamie Coven and, um, you know, Tom Terhar is working. You know, I, like I met all these people this summer and I like I who I had no idea who, you know, knew Igor was the national team coach. But, you know, and it was just one of those things. And at the end of the summer, the I was either going to get a full time job or I was gonna just basically say, I'm just gonna be a teacher. And uh, what happened was the women's coach at Gonzaga took a position at another school in August. And, you know, as you know, like timing is everything. And uh, instead of doing a search in a short period with the students coming back right away, the Gonzaga gave me an opportunity to be the interim women's coach at Gonzaga. And, uh, so I inherited a team of, I guess it was 11 athletes total. Um, we had one sophomore uh, who would have been up, you know, and everybody else was two juniors and eight seniors, you know, was my first women's team. And, uh, you know, we obviously had a novice class along the way, but that's, that was the team and the uh, yeah. And, and I came on after having been the freshman men's coach. So you can imagine what their impression of me was. Uh, Cause I'd never coached them before, like yeah. interaction. And they, they gave me a chance and uh, gave me an opportunity to coach. And I'll, yeah, I'm, I'm forever, you know, I'm eternally grateful before the end of that year that the eighties, like, you know, we're going to take the <laughs> title away. And yeah, it was 99 to 07. So that was a good eight year stretch. You know, it's so it's I'm like laughing here that that era, those seven, eight years there, that's the best rowing in America ever. Like those that chunk of and I say this in every podcast. There's no better time to be rowing in America in other than those seven, eight, nine years. I mean, I mean, it was a fun time. I don't know if we were really I don't think anybody knew how fast you could be. Right. Because all this technology that that was just getting introduced. Yes. Was still, you know, was still in a, the infancy, like nobody really knew how to maximize, you know, composites or um, blade shapes or any of those types of things. It. it was a, uh, it was definitely a renaissance and run because things, there was new things to look at and try every year. Well, yeah. No, so as a, as a head coach, um, you had a lot of decisions to make, um, with, but with only 11 athletes, it's ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like, that's like such a small team. How long did it take you to get 
a strong program? Like how many years did it take at Gonzaga before you started seeing good success in larger numbers? I mean, I was fortunate. Like I had senior leadership my first year out and, and like the, this, this group of women had had, uh, they had had three coaches and four, four coaches in four years. If you coach their fresh, if you count their freshman coach. So they are, they were already pretty, you know, they already had decided that they were passionate about rowing. So that, that made things easier for me. I didn't have to make them passionate about rowing. I could just, help guide them, you know, to where they wanted to go. And um, at that point, the WCC championship was in its second or third year. I think the WCC women's rowing championship was in 97. Um, then in 90, so probably 98 was when it went from a, just a varsity eight to a team championship. So two eights and a four. So, you know, and Gonzaga invested in rowing, pretty early on, you know, ahead of some of the other WCC schools. So we definitely took advantage of that. And, uh, I, you know, the, the thing that's, the thing that was always great about Gonzaga was that there was, um, you know, rowing, rowing, what rowing was a cool sport, you know, like it, it's, uh, it, you were kind of, you had to be kind of crazy to get up early in the morning and do it, but you definitely had the respect of your fellow students. And I think that goes a long way to helping people be motivated to continue to do better. Right. That all, all, all an athlete wants is to be respected by their peers. And so you have an institution that has that in, in place. It helps a lot. So you're there, you're there for eight years and mm -hmm. you make a big jump, like across the entire country, big jump. Uh, you went to Gonzaga or you went Gonzaga, you went to Georgetown. So what, how did that job come about? How did you decide to make that decision? Why leave Gonzaga? Why leave the West Coast when you're so comfortable out there? I mean, you spent your entire earlier career there. Why the shift? Why the jump? Uh, well, I, I went to a Jesuit high school. I was coaching at a Jesuit university. And uh, Georgetown was kind of like the Jesuit mothership, right? Like uh, the mothership. <laughs> Well, it is. They consider themselves a mothership of all Jesuit institutions, right? Uh, you know, it was it was also the Eastern Springs League. It was Tony Johnson. It was it was a competitive step up for sure. Um, the athletic director there at the time, who's now the athletic director at Stanford, you know, really I don't want to say convinced me, but he assured me that he was interested in seeing the women's rowing team have success. Um, you know, the previous coach had done a great job, but they were, you know, the position that I was taking was different from what the previous coach had had. Hmm. Um, you know, previously, you know, Tony, Tony was in charge of the head coach and everybody else was kind of an assistant. And when I took the position, I, I was made the women's coach. So, you know, as, as, you know, Tony was still the director of rowing, but, you know, I was able to make some decisions based on you know, what's best for the women's team. And that was a huge step forward for them. Um, I had no idea what I was getting into, you know, I had no idea what it was like to be on the East coast, but I knew, you know, I knew if you're going to be good in rowing, that was where the power was. Um, but I, honestly, like that was the professional side of it, but the personal side of it was, I was, you know, 37 years old when I went there and, you know, 
Spokane, Spokane was a little stale for a 37 year old. DC sounded a lot more exciting. <laughs> that's a hell of a lot more exciting. But, um, and I think that's where you met your wife, right? You met her. It in, is. Yep. Mm-hmm. In, in, so, so it worked out. Yeah, it did work out. So, and you got, you got two kids, but let's, let's, mm-hmm. I want to talk about though, the culture shock because Gonzaga to Thompson's boat center is way different, man. I mean, they're polar opposites. Thompson's boat center is a mess. It's like the wild (laughs) west of rowing. And you have our mess though. When you're there, it's your mess. It's your mess. You're right. And, and this is where I, I meet you. Like I see you around. I'm, I'm, you get that job my senior year. So you had a powerhouse of coaches there. You had Greg Meyer, right? Mm-hmm. You had Greg King, who was uh, who was like at the high school level. He was coming in at that point. I think two years later he came in. Then you had Tony Johnson. I mean, you had Dan Angler. I mean, you had amazing. Oh yeah, Mark Mandel. Mark Mandel. I oh think yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you had the powerhouse of rowing right there at Thompson's, but a culture shock. There is a lot of knowledge there, and, and I think it's. I think there's a lot of things lost on the high school coaches and the collegiate coaches. Like that was a fun time to be at TBC. Um, how much time did you spend connecting with those coaches in that very small incubator? I mean, it's an incubator, right? It's a, it's a pressure. Uh, I mean, I, you know, I, I consider a lot of those guys, my friends, you know, yeah. like, I, I, you know, I don't, we're not not friends in the terms of like you know we we talk all the time but you know I I I still keep an eye out for what you know Brian Tylander is doing or Dan Engler or you know um, gosh I don't want to start saying names because then you know any of these guys watching this you like get one right you know <laughs> but um, yeah I mean that was you know there was a I I think we we all you know, I had met a lot of these guys through summer coaching. So I, I had known some of the players, you know, from my time working at Vesper and, and, and stuff like that. So I knew, I knew, I wasn't like totally unfamiliar with the East coast. I had spent some time out here, so I had some connections. Um, but yeah, the reality is, is that, I mean, God, we're all kind of rowing. We're all kind of rowing nerds to a certain extent. Like we just, we just really loved rowing and we were willing to, like go through stuff that a lot of people probably would have like not been able to take for a very long time to be able to do it, you know? So, yeah. yeah anyway, I mean, it's, it, they're still, they're all still there, you know, and they're all still doing great work. And, and the thing is, I think the thing that the reason why they're still there and they're, they're still succeeding is that, you know, a lesson that we all learned was that, you know, if you don't change, if you don't adapt, if you don't, if you're not open to new ideas or willing to change, you know, yeah, you'll get left behind. If, I mean, I think the, I mean, we'll see what happens, but I, I think there's been, you know, there's been a little bit of a junior rowing renaissance in that area. You know, it, when I was there, it was not particularly great, but these guys have worked really hard to create some really powerful programs, you know, like, Oh God. Yeah. Oh, man. Like Ted Haley at St. Albans. Like, I mean, some of these, some of these coaches have been there as long as I've been coaching. No, I know. I know. I'm like, listen, I, I, I think DC is the, the strongest junior rowing scholastic area in the country. It's not, for, forget about St. Joe's prep and the, and the, the fill. I think DC is the best, but I want to know, do you have a really great Thompson's boat center story? Like, do you have a funny story that happened? <sighs> 
I mean, that, come on, man. That that Tom TBC is like Vegas. You know what what happens at TBC stays at TBC. I mean, they're like some of the river flooding stories are always epic. You know where you're sitting there, and uh, you know I don't know if many people know that the Potomac can be a pretty volatile body of water, and yeah. the, the Thomas's Boat Center is a national. Uh, it's not. It's part of the national park system. It's uh, so it's run by the National Park Service. So, you know, run by the government. Uh, you know, when the docks come in, when the docks come out, if there's a flood coming, are the docks going to come out? And then you're surrounded by, you know, the Kennedy Center on one side. You got, um, oh my gosh, the the Georgetown waterfront on the other. Yeah. Uh, I mean. There's a lot of entities at play there. Most of this, probably most of the best stories are when all those people are trying to figure out how to play together because you know, playing together is a big part of uh, living in the District of Columbia. And I think I think test the lack of playing together. You said it there. TBC is Vegas. I think I think that's enough. That that's pretty damn good. Uh, right. You're there for a while. I mean, you're there and you're in town for a while. And this is where you decide to make the shift to Alabama. Right. So you go from Georgetown to Alabama. Or what's in between? No, I went Georgetown. I was Georgetown for four years. I went back to Gonzaga. That's a whole nother story. Yes. Yes. Took me back. <laughs> so was, why go back? Why? Why go back? What happened? I went back and I was there uh, gosh, a long time. back in 2011. I was there another seven years. Um, so why? Like why? Why? Uh, personal professional, you know, uh, okay. it, the the leadership of Georgetown had changed. Um, you know, we've done, we had done some good stuff there, but it, the, you know, the, when I went there, they were still talking about maybe getting a boathouse built, you know, that was four years down the road and no closer. Um, the administration was, uh, empathetic to rowing, but I wouldn't consider them really passionate about seeing rowing succeed. Um, and the reality is, is that you know, Gonzaga is, uh, was still, was still doing well, but they wanted to do better. And my, my girlfriend at the time soon, now my wife, we were kind of like, okay, well, you know, you're a mental health counselor and I'm a rowing coach. You know, what's, what's life in DC look like for us? And what's life in Spokane look like for us? Life in Spokane looked a lot better. Wow. I I mean, that's, that's probably, I, I would just, I like going home. You know what I mean? It's like, that's your home, That that's, that's where you were really spent a lot of your time. So you go back to Gonzaga, you got a pretty good stint there. I mean, you have some success yeah. in those, yeah. in those seven years. Yeah, we had some good teams. Like really good teams. Yeah. Um, but now I want to jump, I want to jump to like Alabama. Like we know enough about mm-hmm. Gonzaga. Yeah. Yeah. How does that job come about? So you're in, you're in, you're, you're in Spokane, you got your family there, you're building, a, you're building yeah. your community. Right. And as an adult male, I mean, at that point, you're in your 40s. And yeah, I know old. how hard it old. is. You're getting you off, dude. I, you said it, not me. Okay. <laughs> but you're there. And I know personally how hard it is to move from like Baltimore to Annapolis. I can't imagine moving my family across the country to an area. That's the opposite of Spokane. So like, what was the conversation like internally as all this was coming about? 
Well, I mean, everything had to be right, you know? Um, the, uh, we had just gotten back, I had just gotten back from NCAAs. Um, and I mean, the long and the short of it is I got a phone call from the athletic director here. At first, I didn't know it was him, so I sent it to voicemail. Uh, and then I listened to the voice message, so I was like, I just sent the athletic director to Alabama to voicemail. And <laughs> so I called back. You know, that suspicious callback right after you sent somebody directly to voicemail. Uh, and uh, again, in like a period of 72 hours, I was in a preliminary interview in Atlanta. You know, first I had, you know, I was like, my wife's like, hey, at least look at it. And uh, yeah, 72 hours, I was in Atlanta for a preliminary back to Spokane. And then they flew my wife and I out here to Tuscaloosa. Um, we had to figure out what to do with our kids who were, um, gosh, four and two at the time. And um, it, it, I, this wasn't, this wasn't going to be the place if it didn't work for, um, for me professionally, for my wife professionally, um, and we didn't feel really good about the situation for our kids. Um, I think so, if, so, I just, I'm, yeah, I want to go, yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to you, but I get this thing in my head. You're like the AD called you like, why, how does that happen? Like you're not out there publicly saying I'm ready for a change. Right. So yeah. why did that person call you? How, how, how did that come about uh, that? I, you know what? I'll be honest, Alex. I probably was, I, I probably was like, fourth or fifth on the list, you know, I, I don't even know how far down the, the ADs list I was and, and it doesn't really matter to me, you know, um, the, the way, it, the, the way it's been said to me is that the, that was the NCAAs, the first NCAAs in Sarasota. And it was a complete weather debacle, you know, it wasn't bad, you know, we got the racing, in, but I mean, with schedule changes and, um, you know, and the, the way the way it's been told to me is the AD had gone down there to, to, you know, observe, you know, and um, observe how people handled things. And it didn't turn out the way he wanted to, but he, he did see, he did get a chance to see enough of how coaches were interacting with their teams and, you know, kind of a crazy circumstance. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I didn't mess it up, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, I can't tell you how that stuff happens. You know, I do know that um, I do feel like it's really important to, you know, not, not be a jerk to people along the way because you never know when somebody that you've crossed paths with is going to be the person that the AD at Alabama calls asking for their opinion of it. Um, so, you know, no, I, I, that's, I mean, you've, 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 you've mentioned that twice in the interview, and I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, you are good at communication. I mean, you're easy to talk to, and that plays into it. But not being a jerk is a really important lesson for these younger coaches. Yeah, um, I mean, I can be a jerk sometimes, but I try not to be a jerk to, you know, I, I try not to intentionally be a jerk. I, that's all you can ask for. Right? <laughs> all right, so you and your wife, I understand that you wanted it to be, it had to work, you know, it had to work. I got yeah. it. Okay. What sold you? What was like, what was the selling point for you that said, you know what? No brainer. I got to do professionally? this. Professionally? Professionally. Professionally. Oh man. Uh, like we, 
we came here and about halfway through, you know, my wife was with me and, and we were going through all this series of meetings and everything else. And, you know, we get to the rowing, we get to the rowing facilities and this is about halfway through the day. And both my wife and I look at each other and we're like, okay, there's, this place has everything. There's nothing this place doesn't have, you know, all it, all it's, I don't even want to say it's all it's missing. It's like, it's just, the only thing that's needed is someone to figure out how to take advantage of all the resources that are here, because, you know, it's one thing to have a lot of resources. It's another thing to figure out how to use them advantageously, right? You can have too much, you know, I had an old assistant coach that would say too good is no good. You know, there is, there is such a thing as having too much of good thing. And, you know, but that was, that was, that was the challenge, right? That's, that's, what's exciting. It's like, if they're going to give you everything you need to succeed and your only challenge is to figure out how to use it, that's, that's a good challenge to have. In my opinion, as a professional, that's, you know, and, you know, we're, we're not, we're, we're heading you know, we feel like we're on the right track, but as a professional, again, as a professional rowing coach, I'm, you know, my, my viewpoint was like, if we're going to move somewhere, I don't, I, I probably don't have another move left. You know, this was, this was the move. And if we're going to move somewhere, let's move somewhere where the only thing preventing me from reaching any professional pinnacle I can reach is my own ability, my own imagination. And uh, what is that? What is that goal? What, what is that goal? What's your professional goal? Is it to win the NCAAs or is it maybe build a team? Yeah, that has I mean, of course I want to win the, of course I want to win the NCAA championship, you know, like that's, I don't know. I, I mean, yeah, as a, as a coach, I, that, that would be amazing. I, I, but I also know how hard that is. I, I want my team to, I want my team to continue to progress, continue to get better. Um, I want my athletes to have a good experience, but also um, appreciate the experience that they're having and, you know, see the value in rowing, right? Like rowing is not like any other sport in, in, in my opinion, in that rowing, like, it still is a sport. It's not hundred percent true for everybody, but it is still a sport that the more you put into it, the more you get out of it, you know, and there aren't a lot of sports that you could, you know, say that about still. Um, I mean, I don't want to say, you know, I, you can name anything like I, it doesn't matter how good a baseball player I want to be. I, I'm going to be very, I don't have, you know, talent is a limiter to my, to being a good baseball player in rowing you know, that old adage, you know, hard work can overcome, what is it? Hard work can overcome talent when talent doesn't try it, doesn't work hard. You know, I, th- I think rowing is one of the few places where that is still, um, still exists. I, I listen, you're, you're preaching here to the choir here, but, um, when I, I drop boats off to you, um, now a month and a half ago, and I will never, and I said this when I was there, I will never forget driving in and seeing like a mix of poverty, a mix of rural America. And then all of a sudden you hit Alabama. I mean, it was like a shock to go, 
down the street and then all of a sudden seeing what you have. Um, and I know that you and I like talked about how people need to know about Alabama that they need to expect that, right? They need to know what's there. Did that, did that change you personally at all? Like, did that affect your decision-making about how, how isolated the city can feel? Yeah, I, no. Um, I mean, I feel like deep down, I've always had an affinity for college towns. You know, and went to when I was in graduate school at Washington State. Had some of you know, don't tell my Husky friends this, but I had some of the best years of my life in Pullman. You know, some of the yeah. most enjoyable years. It's a really cool community, and um, you know, Spokane was a great community, and I really appreciate that. But community was so important, and yeah, I mean, you, Alabama's Alabama is a diverse state. There is no doubt about it. You it sure is full spectrum, and. Uh, but being in a being a part of a community has always been something that's been really valuable to my wife and I, and that's where, you know, you feel that sense of community. And um, you know, it didn't it didn't hurt that they drove us in in darkness and drove us out before light on the way out. So maybe there was something to that. I don't know, but uh, you know, we we've experienced a lot. You know, like there's there's no doubt. Like, and and I don't think. Alabama is unique in having this. It's like every state has has things that you know you, you would you would not want to have in your state. And there's a lot of things that you know as a state we want to highlight. And uh, but what we've been trying to do, I think, especially in, in one of the things I I just want to do is like yeah, there's a value in in coming to a place that's diverse. And you know we're not trying to shy away from any challenges that our state might have. In fact, we're trying to use them as part of the educational process. I mean, and it's, we don't have a choice. You, you said, you said too good is no good resources. You gotta be ready. That's not my line. I, I, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I, know. I don't so want, it, again, people listening to this are gonna say, wait, he just stole my line. I, I'm, no, I'm, I'm not taking <laughs> I, I, yeah, yeah, little little asterisks there, uh, yeah. CJ. But you, but you have. Uh, I mean, Alabama. When when someone hears Alabama, they think one of the greatest football teams ever. They think mm -hmm. unlimited resources. They think mm -hmm. a myriad of things. How does Glenn make with the other coaches? Like Bianca's there. I mean, Bianca's mm -hmm. an animal. How does the coaching staff at Alabama make Alabama a powerhouse in rowing? How does that happen? I mean, I got, I got James Mulcahy, I got Bianca, you know, we're going to be uh, advertising for a open position. So, you know, maybe some hot newcomer out there is looking for a place to come and coach. So keep you know it up. If someone, if, if you're here 50 minutes into this conversation, you now <laughs> know there's a job opening up in Alabama. Gosh, darn it. I love uh, that. So how so, do you do it? Um, but I think we're, we all spend a lot of time really trying to think about Alex, like, how do we, how do we use this stuff better? Cause uh, the challenges that our athletes face are no different from the challenges any other college students face any place else in the country, you know? So what, what we're trying to do is use our resources to help them be more successful, whether it's academically, athletically, emotionally, mentally, physically, you know? And so anything that we do to, 
help them use the resources that they have to be more successful. I mean, that's kind of our job as coaches. And, you know, I could, I could come to any number of examples, but the most recent one is, you know, we haven't had the best season that we, we haven't had the season we wanted to have thus far. Right. But that doesn't stop us from trying to find ways to improve competitively. And we have had by no means a bad season, but you know what I'm saying? Like we have high expectations and we haven't been meeting them. So as coaches, what we, what we do is we're like, okay, well, what resources do we have that we haven't tapped into yet? You know, how do we use straight force to help our team develop, you know, like, and, you know, we get back from a disappointing performance in Vegas. So we, we take the top 16 kids and we put two of them in straight fours and we got one of them in eight and, you know, we got very few kids that know how to tow a straight four, but we got, them, you know, we're like, no, nope, better figure it out real quick. And, uh, you know, we use that and we say, okay, well, what can they learn from this? What can we learn from seeing them experience this? And it's all just a, I mean, process is obviously a, you know, trademarked term here in Alabama, you know, like coach Saban's process is well-known, you know, anybody who's read the books, like, but, but it is like, it's, it's a process and you have to figure out, you know, there's some bones to that process, but the, the flesh and blood of it take time to figure out. You know, I, I, I remember, I remember having a conversation with five of your athletes when I was there and I learned that three of them had less than a year experience in rowing Hmm. and it's just a matter of time. Like you said, it's the process. It's patience. Alabama is really building. I mean, you're building. You're not, you're not yeah. walking to a club, a program that's been around for 50 years, a hundred years with unlimited experience, right? Like you're setting that bar and it just takes time, right? It just, it just takes time. I, I mean, yeah, I'm as patient as I am, I'm still impatient. I'm still a competitor, you know, and my assistants are still competitive and our athletes are still, you know, competitive and, and that's the balance, right? Like, how do you, how do you maintain patience while still progressing? And how do you make sure that you're not being too patient and not progressing fast enough? It's, you know, when do you push and when do you pull back? Um, and that I think that's getting harder and harder. It seems like it used to be easier to determine when those times were, and it, it, it nowadays seems to be getting more and more challenging because there's so much, so many more external variables that we don't have control over. But Glenn, I I, I take a lot of notes, and uh, I I'm like doing this. I'm like rereading them as we're we're ending here, and I keep coming back to the guy that got cut. <laughs> you got cut in 1985 and now you made it a goddamn career at one of the largest colleges in the country. Right. Yeah. It's the American dream, man. It is, I'm, I'm <laughs> telling you, like how, how is it not? I mean, you've traveled the country, you've, you've experienced everything. I got my last yeah. question for you. Yeah. Um, is a, is a question. I think a lot of coaches uh, tend to ask me and that's, um, why did you never try the high school club level coaching route? You know, you've always been, you've always been collegiate from the day one. Was yeah. there ever a reason that, because at TBC, look, let's face it, you yeah. experienced the biggest 
area of junior coaching. Why, why didn't you ever try it? Why wasn't that something on your, uh, on your path? Alex, if I, if I had been hired as a teacher, I might still, you know, I'd be like my friend, Brian Tylander, you know, coaching, yeah. coaching in, you know, whatever district public school and, and coaching junior rowing. I, I don't, I didn't, I didn't ever think that there was a, you know, to me, coaching is coaching, right? I, I didn't, you know, I got on a collegiate path and I stuck with it. I could have easily gotten on a scholastic path and you know, still, I, I, I know I'd still been happy. You know, I don't think the, the joy is not what the joy about rowing and coaching the sport is certainly not dependent on the level I'm coaching. If that makes sense. Like some of the, some of the best summers, um, well, I've had a lot of really good summers, but some of the best summers coaching are, you know, doing like Navy crew camps, you know, and spending a week with, I don't know, ninth graders in Annapolis going out on, you know, like there's, those are some of the most fun coaching times I've had because you can go out there and, you know, the kids are having fun. And, you know, we, I think a lot of times we try and seek that same joy for rowing in our collegiate kids, you know, so that they're, they're having, you know, they don't lose that joy for the sport as it gets more intense. Final, final question. Okay. Do you hope your kids row? Are you hoping that they get in a boat one day and, and make it competitive? Oh, man. Uh, I hope my kids, I hope my kids, yeah, if they have a passion for rowing, I hope they pursue rowing. I, my, my daughter loves dancing right now, but she'll, you know, she also likes jumping on the trampoline. Maybe she's going to be a tumbler. I have, you know, they're, I just want them to have fun, you know? And um, I know that sounds like the very, like, that's a dad thing to say. It's it's a, a yeah. What? I don't know, man. Like, like, do, do I want to wish like, like rowing, rowing is a really good sport if you have perspective. Yeah. It, it's a really miserable sport. If you don't have any perspective, it, <laughs> it is. If you don't have perspective about, again, not to overuse that term process or progression. Like if, if you're like a, you want to be good, quick person, Rowing is not, rowing is a miserable sport for those people, you know, but if you're someone that's like, Hey, I kind of, you know, I kind of like the idea of figuring out how to get better at something. And I like learning and I actually can still find joy in the discovery of doing something well for the first time. Rowing is a great sport because you never run out of those things. That's the truth. There's never something that you can't experience in rowing that can be new. I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll tell you this. My son is terrible at baseball. And he said to me, he's six. He said to my wife yesterday, hey, you think dad could try like rowing with me? And my heart melted, Glenn. It melted. <laughs> Maybe there's a future there. But Glenn, I, I got to tell you, I had a blast doing this. Yeah, and man. It's been fun. It's been for fun. For anyone that tuned in this far, two things. One, I've been to the Alabama Boathouse and it's incredible. Okay. If you are a high school rower listening or watching this thing, check it out. And we'll put a link there how to get a hold of Glenn. Number two, and this is a big one. If you're a coach looking for a job, I know a guy (laughs) with an open position. Glenn, thanks for being here. Everyone tuning in. This was episode 94 of Rowers Voice Podcast. More from us next week.